Please join me in the prayer for elimination. Let us pray. Gracious Lord, like Nicodemus, we come to the word with many questions. Like the Pharisees, we can be captivated by correctness and tent on right answers. As we turn to your word, Spirit of God, do not let our desire for information dominate our need to transformation. Let us hear the word and be moved to greater faith and obedience. Amen. Our scripture reading today comes from the book of 2 Timothy, chapter 3, verse 10 through 17. Hear these words. Now you have observed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions, and my suffering, the things that happened to me in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra, what persecutions I endured, yet the Lord rescued me from all of them. Indeed, all who want to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, but wicked people and impostors will go from bad to worse, deceiving others and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have known the sacred writings that are able to instruct you for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is inspired by God and is useful for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, so that everyone who belongs to God may be proficient, equipped for every good work. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. For the last couple of years, we've had a habit of having uh, a couple of Sundays each year where we talk about vision. Um, Humorously, this morning, I was talking about how the view of vision, at least uh, for folk who are uh, seminary trained or maybe older school, uh, vision was something that you got people to articulate, you framed it, and you put it in the back of the church, and you tried to not let it bother your ministry. (laughs) You're laughing, good. I missed the laugh completely at the early service. Um, These days, vision is so much more important. Um, There's a a church leader here at Chapelwood who loves to say, if you don't have a destination in mind, any road will do. If you don't have a destination in mind, any road will do. If you're out on a Sunday drive, the only thing that matters is that you get home in time for dinner. But um, if you're interested in going somewhere, If you have a direction in mind, a a destination, a place where you want to arrive, then you have to be a little bit more intentional about the roads that you pick. Uh, um, Vision, in a lot of ways, um, I I love the scripture we often think about with regard to vision, is where there is no vision, the people perish, right? That's uh, often said more about um, where there is no, um, you know, paying attention to God's word, Uh, People uh, are unable, uh, you know, to accomplish what God has called them to do. So we have been people about vision. Uh, In fact, we don't just frame it and put it in the back of the church and hope it doesn't bother us. We actually say it regularly. Uh, In fact, you hear me say it regularly. Uh, Whoever the pastor is, usually, uh, here, I'll act it out for you so you might remember where your part is. But usually the, the music's beautiful. We're singing the glory of pottery, we're singing, we're singing, somebody's walking with plates, they put the offering plates on the altar, they step back, 
There's a beautiful amen as we end that beautiful music. And the person turns around and says, Chapelwood United Methodist Church exists to help ourselves and others take their next step in their faith journey with Christ. That's our vision. It's an important part of who we are and what we're about. It is the filter for everything we think about doing here at Chapelwood. Now, now we've gotten a little bit more specific, right? That big umbrella is just that, a big umbrella. Underneath it, uh, for the last four years, we've been focused on raising a generation in faith. And you've seen evidence of that in how we have been intentional about hiring staff. We've been intentional about connecting this end of the building with that end of the building. That end is the children and the youth ministry and the preschool. We've worked hard at connecting our ministry to preschool families. In fact, there is a task force that's meeting from now until December, and it'll produce a, a report for a town hall meeting here at the church that's taking the individual elements of children and youth ministry and putting a strategy together for family ministry here at Chapelwood. No extra staff needed, no extra building or anything like that, just intentionality about how we raise a generation in faith. Along the way, we have done some good, uh, I guess you could say, analysis and evaluation. Uh, there was one year that we paid for 20 mystery guest worshipers to come and worship with us. If you didn't notice, that's good. That was the idea. And they uh, completed some uh, survey information about how well they were welcomed, about how well um, they felt connected in the worship series service. People not part of our congregation uh, telling us how we were doing. There were even uh, comments about how the preacher could preach better. And I've been putting those to practice. If you'd like to read those comments, I'm happy to share them with you. Um, also, if you remember, last February, we engaged in some uh, evaluation about how well we make disciples here at Chapelwood. Now, I know you remember this questionnaire, and in just a few moments, I'm going to say the name of the questionnaire, and there's either going to be amens or oh no's from the uh, congregation, right? Do you remember the reveal questionnaire? Yeah, uh, yeah, yay, right? Um, yeah, that was that three weeks that we encouraged uh, more than 50% of the congregation to fill out a 107 question questionnaire that didn't measure what the preachers preach on or what Sunday school classes teach on, but measured the outputs of our congregation, how well you feel equipped to be a disciple and to make disciples. And out of that reveal questionnaire, we've been mining that, those results in becoming a more and more healthy congregation. Uh, one of the things that uh, our reveal revolts, results told us was that this is a congregation that loves service. We do service. We care for others. We are heavily involved in Brazosport Cares and uh, Society for St. Stephen and the Food Basket. We are heavily involved in a number of helping organizations in the area. That we have a history of sending our youth uh, to mission trips. Um, I have to tell you, in the first four years that I was here, uh, I could have funded my pension plan uh, if I had a dollar every time somebody told me, you know, a number of years ago, we often sent 100 kids to UM Army. 
I mean, it was great to hear you say it. You know your history. I've been at a number of churches, but this is the one church that almost every year sends a group to the mission depot uh, to work ahead on flood buckets and uh, hygiene kits. um, I've been at a number of churches, but it's only this church that more often than not have we sent a group to Belize. Do you remember that Lent where we talked about Zoe and African orphans? And I encouraged you uh, to give up uh, a meal and eat at home and take that money and give it to the church um, without even planning over the course of Lent. We funded, um, uh, we funded uh, the work of 30 to 40 orphans uh, in Africa just out of, you know, skipping a meal. Uh, it is amazing how service-oriented you are. The reveal, revolts, re, the reveal results showed that, but it also showed a little bit of uh, we were more duty um, than passion. Does that make sense? That we were doing the good things, but we had forgotten a little bit about why we were doing them. I, I mean, it's not that you didn't know about, um, you know, we do these things out of love for God, but that duty thing had become far more important. For example, Um, uh, uh, Some of you know that I have a little bit of uh, experience in counseling. I remember one of the funniest interventions I ever learned in my master's program was that um, if you have a couple that's uh, uh, experiencing an empty nest and they're trying to get that relationship back working after all the kids have gone off and moved out, what do you do to help that couple uh, get reintroduced to the person on the other side of the breakfast table? And one of my professors said, they should get a dog. Now, I know you're laughing, but think about it. You get a dog, right? And so for the last, I don't know, eight years or whatever, you've been chauffeuring kids around. You've been uh, paying for college tuition. You've been trying to figure out how to make everything work. and, And you and your spouse are just ships passing in the night, right? You know about them. You remember at one time you fell in love with them, but at the moment there's not enough time face-to-face for you to be anything more than just co-partners as you're getting the work done. Then everybody leaves the house, and all of a sudden you have to reintroduce yourself to that person across the breakfast table. So you get a dog. All of a sudden, he sees her playing with the dog, taking it to uh, uh, go for a walk, putting bows in its hair, even though it's a boy dog, right? And he goes, huh, she's kind of cute. And she cares for, apparently she's, it's capable of her to do compassion because she loves that dog. Maybe she'll love me, right? And, and she sees him doing all the dutiful things, right? Making sure it gets the meds and it goes to the vet and, you know, all of those great things. He's mowing the yard so that there's a place for the dog to go. And she goes, wow, he really will do things for us. That's great. Right? I'm not talking about anyone's marriage, not even my own, right? Um, and so all of a sudden, there is this new love that's going on. Um, We're familiar with this idea of duty and passion. It's important for us to fall in love, not just with the actions of discipleship, but the one who we fell in love with first, that that experience of Jesus that, that really fuels everything that we do. And so the Reveal study kind of talks about this um, falling back in love with your first love. Uh, When we think about the book of Revelation, there are letters sent to all the churches. One of the letters is, you have forsaken your first love. 
You've forgotten the reason why we do all of this. Now, I have to say that um, that's a nice way of talking about biblical illiteracy, don't you think? Falling back in love with your first love, that's easier to preach on than the challenge of biblical illiteracy. But the reality is, is that on that side of the chancel rail and on this side of the chancel rail, we have forgotten some of those important pieces about the Bible that fuel our passion for Jesus, that then result in our behaviors of caring for those around us. And I want to say it's as much my fault and the pastoral staff as it is yours. Sometimes we have preached on convenient things instead of necessary things. Sometimes we have preached to equip you to do things that you already knew how to do. It's not always here that we were pushing the edge, encouraging you to learn more and more deeply about Scripture. Now, there are some of you that are great deep pockets of wisdom of Scripture and that you have not lost that passion. You know, I'm not saying um, that we don't have elements of it here. But part of what Reveal asks is how well is your church equipping you to make disciples? How well is your church equipping you to be a disciple? And there's some opportunities for us to grow, mostly in the area of biblical literacy. And so you've noticed over the last couple of months that uh, biblical literacy has been a part of sermons more often. The last three sermons that I've preached have been about uh, dysfunction of uh, Old Testament families. We have to learn the stories to then draw out um, the right answers as how to be family today. And uh, today I started um, a a novice study with a group of people that'll walk through Jesus's life in the four gospels. Last uh, May, I did a study about reading the Bible for beginners. I had 30 people show up. It was amazing to see the hunger in this congregation to learn about the Bible. This morning I had 15 people who showed up for that Bible study. And I think the other 15 or 20 that would have come They were at Ginger's reception, partially because of Ginger and partially because there was cake. And so there are opportunities for us to learn and grow together. So I want to help remind you of your first love. I'm not going to get a church dog. I think there's some better ways for us to find our first love. And so what I want to do, and (laughs) I used this at the early service, and I was like, huh, kind of worked, kind of didn't. We're going to do speed dating with the Bible. I'm going to give you a great number of options about how wonderful the Bible is, and hopefully you'll fall back in love. Okay, speed dating didn't work for the early service, and it didn't work for you. (laughs) So let me give you some quick ideas about why Scripture is important, why there's some passion and love for Scripture. Sometimes when we read the Bible, we get all caught up in, in what's, um, what's accurate and what was the cultural thing and, and how many years uh, um, did people live in a lifespan and, and all of those things. But let's remember, uh, and First Timothy says this, uh, um, uh, Paul says this to Timothy in our scripture passage today. Sorry, 2 Timothy chapter 3. And the core of this message is really around 16 and 17. All scripture is inspired by God and is useful for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, so that everyone who belongs to God may be proficient, equipped for every good work. 
My first point is scripture is inspired. Now as Methodists, we don't believe that scripture is inerrant, like without error. We believe that scripture is inspired by God. God breathed is one way to describe the Greek word here in this verse. Now that's interesting, right? I like God breathed, that scripture is inspired. Now when we talk about inspired, it's not that the choir did a great version of a cantata and that it was an inspired performance. It's not that Glenda and Margaret playing a, a beautiful duet together on piano and organ was inspired. It's the wrong use of inspired. What we're looking at here when God inspires scripture, when scripture is God-breathed, it's that God's Holy Spirit breathes a breath through the kind of vocal cords of scripture, which is vocal cords for the metaphor could be the people who wrote down the words of God. Do, do you get that idea? Not inerrant, and I know some of you are going to greet me in the narthex and we're going to talk about inerrancy and how I should be uh, someone who believes in the inerrancy of scripture, and that's okay. I'm happy to have a long conversation, especially if we go to lunch. And let me say that there are some strange things in Scripture, just being honest, right? Some places where things don't line up, and I go, hmm, inspired, not inerrant. One example. So the first five books of the Old Testament, right, the, the Pentateuch, um, that we believe those were written in tradition by Moses. Moses wrote down Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, right? Um, and so in, um, in that account, um, Moses writes that Moses is the most humble man in all the earth. If you're the most humble man in all the earth, are you still humble if you write it down in scripture? You're not gonna laugh. All right, I've got a whole group of inerrancies. All right, good. We'll talk afterwards over lunch, right? Scripture is inspired. It's breathed by God. Now, um, also, not only is it breathed by God, but I want you to think about who are the people who uh, raised you in the faith? Who are the people who spoke these words of Scripture to you? That if it's not enough to think about the truth of Scripture being God-breathed, think about those who breathed those words to you. I think about my grandmother. I think about how she lived her life by Scripture and that it was just a beautiful thing to watch, uh, this woman uh, um, fully given to love of God and love of neighbor. So much so that I would sit next to her. Now, um, she's a good Methodist um, in, uh, in Jasper, Alabama, unless she didn't like the pastor that got sent by the bishop. And then she'd go down to uh, New Hope Missionary Baptist, um, where we would hang out um, until that pastor left. I know you know nothing about that dynamic as a Methodist. Um, but regardless of what sanctuary we were sitting in, my grandmother always had two charm bracelets, one on each hand. And I, I don't know if you knew this about me, I'm a little ADHD. Um, and so sitting still was hard um, as a kid. But I would sit next to my grandmother and I would flip through the charm bracelets. One charm bracelet had a silhouette for every member of the family. It had uh, two rings joined together, a little charm that had the wedding anniversary date of everybody in the family. That you were remembered because you were part of grandmother's charm bracelet. The other charm bracelet was filled with charms that were about scripture. And so I could sit there during however long the sermon was and flip through my ancestry or my faith heritage. And I was reminded, not just that the words of Bible are true, but they were true for my grandmother. They were true for my parents and they can be true for me as well. My second point in our speed dating of scripture 
is that scripture is useful. Scripture is useful. It's not just something uh, to put in a Hallmark card or to frame in the vision and put in the back of the church. Scripture is useful. Now, we know about God. We're going to use a little theology here. We know about God through general revelation and special revelation. General revelation is I look around at the world and I go, wow, somebody had to have made this. I say, wow, the world has a beginning, the world has a design, and there are laws that govern the world. General revelation says if there's a design, there must be a designer. And if there are laws, there must be a lawgiver. And if there's a beginning, there must be somebody who started it all. General revelation. This is the astronomer who looks through the telescope and says, wow, there must be somebody who put this all in motion. Now notice general revelation doesn't tell us the personality of the lawgiver or of the starter or of the designer. We have to go to special revelation for that. Special revelation is often considered scripture, that when we read scripture, we learn about the personality and the events. We learn about the personality of the God we serve and the events of salvation history. And so scripture is important because it was the steps and stories that introduced us to Jesus. Scripture is useful because it introduces us to the Savior of the world and his Father who created it. Scripture is useful in terms of helping us know about Jesus. I'd say Scripture is useful as well because, let's be honest, Scripture saves sinners, and we're all sinners. And so we find in the pages of the Scripture the salvation history and our own invitation to allow God to change our lives by the work of the cross and resurrection to find ourselves as children of God. Scripture is useful, right? Scripture, uh, scripture also equips. Scripture equips us. Now, I'm not saying that it equips us uh, to be really good farmers so that we only harvest some of our crop and allow the poor to glean around it. It's not necessarily that it's useful in that it tells us um, how, uh, what to do when someone steals our cow or kills our sheep. Uh, some of Scripture doesn't equip. It's just cultural stuff that help us know about what happened in the story as we come to the life of Jesus. But Scripture equips us. You can find in it uh, wisdom in Proverbs and Psalms. You can find uh, uh, equipping for worship through the Psalms and the prayers and the songs that are in the Psalms. And I think at the end of the day, Scripture equips because Scripture in the hands of the Holy Spirit empowers us and equips us to be discerning people who know right from wrong and who know how to walk through the world as God has called us to walk to accomplish the purpose that God, God has called us to accomplish. You see, biblical literacy, knowing what is said in the Bible about the one who we are so passionate for is important. Uh, it is important uh, also to do actions of discipleship, to care for the needy. But we have to be careful that we don't do duty without that passion. And so hopefully over the next year, you're going to hear and understand and be invited to have a number of opportunities to engage Scripture, to remember your first love, to fall back in love again with that story that changed all of our lives. I have to say that there is one particular version of Scripture that I love the most. There's one particular version of Scripture that I will give my life for every time, 
it's not the King James, it's not the NIV. It's that particular uh, version of scripture that Mary held in Bethlehem in a manger and swaddled in clothes. Let's never forget that when we talk about the words of scripture, the word of God, we're essentially talking about Jesus, about that salvation history, about that God who became flesh and dwelt among us. The first chapter of the Gospel of John even says it, in case we forget about it, that, that uh, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and all that came into being came into being through the Word. Here at Chapelwood, we are about helping people take their next step in their faith journey with Christ. And more specifically, we're interested in raising a generation in faith. And that doesn't have to be just kids becoming adults. That could be new believers or believers who are new again, becoming seasoned and mature as they journey towards the heart of God. And the way that that happens is by engaging the Bible, by learning again about our first love and being swept up in that relationship again. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen.